Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome back to Hire the Smile. I'm Mike Pownell, and today I'm flying solo. Katie, my usual partner, uh, we had a scheduling conflict, so it is just me. But we are with old friends. Uh, this is part two of Dr. Tova Caldwell. Tova joined us uh, two weeks ago to talk about her master's research on mindfulness and equine veterinary practice. It was such an invigorating subject. We covered so much, and we thought, you know what, let's come back, let's talk about some specific things dig a little bit deeper instead of painting with such a broad brush. So Tova, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. So just in case some people didn't hear the first one, can you sort of give us a quick overview of your research and define mindfulness? Because that's, I think, a term that people are really confused by. Yeah, most definitely. So mindfulness, and I think I said this exactly the same way last time, is that you can't define what mindfulness is without first defining what it is not, because there's so many misconceptions about what mindfulness is. Mostly people equate mindfulness with the process of meditation or meditating. Right. Which is what I thought first. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. By definition, mindfulness is really just paying attention to the present moment whatever is happening both internally and externally, paying attention and accepting it for what it is without judgment. And that is a skill that you have to I learn how to do. Easier said than done. <laughs> Exceptionally. Yeah. It is a very difficult skill because we don't realize how often our subconscious is running our thoughts. And most of us don't even realize how many thoughts we have. I have a subconscious? You do. <laughs> Imagine that. And it actually runs everything you do. <laughs> and so, so many things, especially busy people, we work on autopilot. And so we're just working. We're just doing things. We don't even, it's like when you've driven for five minutes and you forget the last five minutes, right? And there was millions of thoughts that went through your mind in those five minutes that you're not even aware of. And so mindfulness is about learning to pay attention to what's happening in the present moment and just letting it be without judging it, without trying to change it, but just becoming aware of what's happening at any given time. Right. Thank you. Again, just maybe just give a brief definition of your research and the main results that you got from it. I would say to anybody, go back, listen to the previous one because we dig, you know, we, we cover it all, but just you're here. So. Sure. So part of my master's, I did a research project and I spoke to 14 different veterinarians. Mostly they were equine veterinarians because initially the focus of this research was how mindfulness could impact the work lives of equine veterinarians. Mostly interested to see if there was any relationship between 
career longevity, well-being, all those types of things. You know, just wondering if there are tools out there that will help equine veterinarians stay in practice longer. As we talked about last time, what I realized is that this can apply to any veterinarian. It's not just for equine veterinarians. Really, you could take the word equine out and have the same conversation. But in this project, I spoke to these veterinarians and we ended up doing a qualitative study. And all of these veterinarians are in full-time practice or some type of equine practice, and they use mindfulness. And so through structured interview questions, I spoke with each one for between an hour and an hour and a half, gathered a lot of data about how these veterinarians are using mindfulness in their daily work lives. And then through a process of very detailed coding, kind of pulled out major themes and sub-themes from the data to see what the relationships are in how mindfulness really does impact the work lives of equine veterinarians or veterinarians in general. Yeah. I read your thesis and I was like, yeah, this is anybody. Yeah. Don't be very much don't so. Don't be scared by the title. It is anybody. Yeah. And, I, and I think <laughs> as we're recording this in October of 2021, I think in this profession, the veterinary profession in general, I think anybody can relate to this because we're all tired. Yeah, exactly. Tired. So there were three things you wanted to dig in that you thought for our time, uh, our place, where we are, uh, three things. So let's start with the first one. Yeah. Professional identity development. Yeah. So I thought that this was a really interesting theme that came out of the research because I think it was interesting because, first of all, I recognize myself in a lot of these stories that these veterinarians were telling me. And so I, I could really resonate with the issues and with the problems. And to sort of define what a professional identity is, to take a step back, a professional identity is really all about self-awareness and having a knowledge of your professional self, knowing what your personal and your professional motivations are, having a good sense of boundaries, what role you play in situations what your values are, what your goals are, and what your strengths and weaknesses are. That it really is what a professional identity is. And it's really important, particularly in caregiving professions, and it's been studied quite in depth in nurses and doctors and counselors and even some in lawyers, because caregiving professions really have, first of all, there's really rigorous academic standards to get into these programs. They're very competitive. There tends to be a lot of self-doubt regarding your own competencies, how well you do things. We tend to blame ourselves when things go wrong or expect things of ourselves that maybe are not realistic based on our given level of skill or, you know, what we've been taught or what experience we have. There tends to be a lot of really intense emotions regarding grief, um, euthanasia, you know, particular to veterinarians. And so when you add up all of those sort of stresses, those all contribute to lack of a professional identity, if you will. And that has really been linked and correlated in human medicine, nurses, these other caregiving professions, with increased anxiety, increased burnout, and decreased job satisfaction. So I thought that was really important for us as veterinarians. So as I was listening to you, I was just thinking, I bet this changes in a career. Because I just much. think I just think of a vet who's just come out, just graduated. And they have a sense of what their identity should be. Yeah. And then you've been out for 20, 25 years and there's an identity that you have that's probably totally different than when you started. Yeah. And I bet having to handle both extremes and, you know, and all variations in between, mm -hmm. it's probably all different all the time. 
Yeah, I think it is. And and what I kind of thought about when you said that is a little bit of, you know, how that changes over your 25 career is wisdom, gaining that wisdom. And we talked about that in the last podcast. Yeah. And, you know, what I think mindfulness, how mindfulness plays a role in gaining that wisdom is it sort of fast tracks you <laughs> and gives you the tools to gain that wisdom much earlier in your career before you have to sort of sludge through the trenches in order to get where you need to get. Yeah, I think it, it can be very helpful there. Because I was just reading, you talk about one participant noted, I have to understand that I'm a vet, but I'm not just a vet. Yeah. And that was really the, the main mediating factor that mindfulness helped veterinarians develop a professional identity and work through some of these things was through learning to detach their self-worth from their role as a veterinarian. So who they are as a person, kind of detaching their identity a little bit so that where they were getting validation from was not coming from their successes and failures as a veterinarian. So learning to detach that and seek internal validation was really the main mediating process by which veterinarians were able to develop this sense of professional identity was by detaching their self-worth from being a veterinarian. <laughs> so to some experience, I'm just thinking as we're talking, I, just, I know of some vets who after, you know, even 10 years, 12 years, they, they have that detachment. Mm -hmm. And so I think some people just develop this without even thinking about it. But I also know vets who have been vets twice as long and their everything is tied up in their profession. Yeah. And when they have a bad case or, a, you know, a bad outcome, it, it shatters them. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a lot of personal characteristics that go into it. From my discussions and from my research, I think that those of us that tend to tie our identities to our successes as a veterinarian, and I am one of those people, I struggled with that for many years, we're kind of these like self-seeking people pleasers always. And we don't have an inherent sense of self-worth. And that's something that really until you get down this road of mindfulness, you don't even realize, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So I think there's different personality factors and some people are just have a better sense of self-worth inherently, depending on who knows their childhood or their, you know, whatever sure. goes into that. That's a whole different subject. And then others don't. Others have a much harder time. So I guess with all we're talking about mindfulness is there is totally a, a wide and long spectrum. And I bet people yeah. probably overlap at different times and they may be great at professional identity development, but perspective taking, exactly. they may struggle with. So Exactly. Like, and, and that's just it. That's This particular theme was a problem for the group of veterinarians that I spoke with, but that's not to say it's a problem for every veterinarian. In my experience a, as myself, but also in mentoring a lot of young veterinarians that have gone through this practice, I think it is something that a lot of people struggle with, yep. most of which don't even know. 100%. Oh, yeah. 100% agree. So there's two main components in the um, professional idea development. There's yeah. practicing non-judgment. And there is developing self-compassion. So let's talk about both of them, please. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about some of those things before as well. And the theme of non-judgment, which really is at the helm of learning mindfulness, is practicing non-judgment. And you'll see that that really plays a huge role in a lot of these sort of themes that came out. But the, the two mediating factors that allowed veterinarians to detach their sense of self-worth and their identity from their job 
was through developing the skill of non-judgment and through developing the skill of self-compassion. Yeah. And those two things, they kind of correlate together. They overlap. They run in parallel. But they were critically important to learning how to develop this professional sense of self. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think you just talk about, I mean, we all know cases of where you just, something goes wrong with with a case Mm -hmm. and it tears you up. And I struggle with this as a young vet. It's because perception is reality. Yeah. And you know you've done everything right. Yeah. But the client, for whatever reason, has a different take on it. And you're just thinking like this unjustness of it all. Yeah, very much, right? And and then sometimes that unjustness, not only does it come from the client, but a lot of times it actually comes from our, our own selves because we have really unrealistic expectations of what we should be able to do, right? And that is something because we all want to be good and we want to be the best. And it's really hard for us to go, but I'm not that yet. <laughs> or I know, ne- you know, and maybe we never will be, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, as we go along, we sort of get better and better with that. I'll, I'll never be as good as I wanted to be because this, this is the most humbling profession or it's a very humbling profession. It is. And, and eventually you learn to, and not everybody does, but I think eventually a lot of us learn to accept that. Yeah. To and and that's where mindfulness and this sort of non-judgment thing comes in is learning to develop a realistic sense of what you can and can't do and have realistic expectations of yourself, you know. And and one participant said it, and this is a little bit more towards equine medicine, but she said, you know, how many times do we go in and we're like the fourth person to look at yeah. this old, broken down horse that has lame in every leg and has so many problems. And the owner's looking at you like, well, you're going to be the one to fix it. And you're like, I'm going to fix this horse, <laughs> you know. And, and we soon realize we can and we're frustrated. Like, what's wrong? Why can't I see this? Why I've done all the things I should be able to do. How come I'm not finding the answer? And, and the reality is, is that with the tools that you have, even with all the knowledge and tools in the world, you might not ever be able to really know what's wrong or solve all of those mechanical issues in that horse. And Or you're the third vet in and you heard that the fourth vet solved it and you're like, why didn't I figure it out? And it's like, well, when everything else has been done, exactly. by process of elimination, somebody's going to get lucky. It's and- so much easier, right? And so, yeah, you end up, when you stop judging yourself for what you think you should do <laughs> and just allow it to be what is, you can be okay with that at the end yeah. of the day. And at the end of the day, you can sit back and say, I don't know. Yeah. And you can be okay with not knowing without feeling, oh, I must be an idiot because I don't know this, right? I mean, that's where, I guess, self-compassion ties it. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly where self-compassion comes in. Because a lot of us, this is a strong word, but a lot of us really suffer in our own head. We suffer in silence, beating ourselves out for what we think we should have done, what we don't know, what we could have done differently, how we could have said it. We're very hard on ourselves yes. naturally. And and we create so much stress and grief and anxiety and that rumination, you know, like it really causes, that's been linked very strongly with depression and, and anxiety. And so we don't even realize we're suffering when we're doing that to yeah. ourselves. And Developing self-compassion lets you actually recognize that you're suffering. Yep. And realize that's happening. Exactly. And so then with self-compassion, when you recognize you're suffering, 
you can talk to yourself like you would talk to a colleague. If a colleague came to you and was like, oh my God, I really screwed up. I'm like, you know, whatever. You're not going to look at them and be like, yeah, you're an idiot. You didn't know better, right? You would never say that to somebody else, right? And so when you recognize that you're suffering just as much as that person that may have come to you and express their own concerns, you can talk to yourself the same way. And so when you develop that skill, that again gives you a clearer idea of what you should and should not be able to do. And it lets you be okay with yourself at the end of the day. That really brings the picture together for you as a professional. Yeah. Forgiveness. Exactly. Self-forgiveness. Exactly. So the next item that you you thought was really something to dig into I remember I was, I was kind of pleased because you said, I, I want to go into these subjects. And I went reread them. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good. This is good. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. I just want to finish off one okay. point on, on professional identity development before we move on. Because when you get all of that stuff together, if you look in the research across other professionals, especially caregiving professions, a well-developed professional identity is very strongly correlated with career longevity. Hmm extremely correlated with career longevity. And it's also correlated with increased well-being, increased personal satisfaction, and the ability to handle the stresses of your career. And so it's, to me, this was just like, bingo. (laughs) You just think of all these statistics of people burning out of this Uh profession and not lasting long. And And yeah, not everybody resonates with this stuff, but I resonated with this because this was me. Yeah. If this didn't happen to me, yeah. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation. No. Yeah. So yeah, talk to us about uh, perspective taking. And you know, the title is seems kind of self-explanatory, but it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, this was actually a really big theme that emerged from this data as well. And developing a broader perspective, like when you when you think about it, it does sound simple, like just learning to think outside your box or think differently. But in reality, that can be really a difficult process to do when you're really fixed on one thing meaning success for you. (laughs) And so when you break it down, there's several different components to developing a broader perspective. You know, first of all, just starting with developing an open mind, understanding other points of view, which is extremely important for veterinarians. It ties into decision making. um, And we talked a little bit about this last time, but curbing those ruminative thoughts and being able to see outside of that thought process. And just kind of for this group of veterinarians, a a major thing with this was just learning to develop a different perspective on how to do life. Listening to you go down this list was very similar to when I was reading this. And I'm like, this should be easy for vets. This is record taking. (laughs) This is getting a history. Yeah. And we as vets, I mean, we have to have an open mind. We have to listen to the client and get their point of view. We have to make a decision. Yeah. We can't let ourselves be torn by, oh, what it could be this or it could be that. Yeah. And then we sort of, you know, all right, here's the perspective. We're going to go with this. Yeah. And to me, it was just like, this should be easy for us. Not easy, but it should be like very familiar at least. I know. And it's not actually. It's not because again, When you start to become aware of how you judge and how your subconscious works, and judge is a strong word, but just how you look at the world and how you think about things, you realize that our perspective actually is very narrowed in a lot of ways. And especially as veterinarians, the idea in any kind of medicine of being wrong is really frowned upon, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be wrong. But 
if you really are honest with yourself, you might be wrong a lot of the time, right? And how can you ever learn from that if you don't actually let yourself acknowledge that you might be wrong, right? And until you can, then you can start to learn, you can start to look outside the box, think in other directions, right? And probably one of the most important or interesting facets that came out of this was how this group of veterinarians learned to relate to other people and seeing other people's points of view. And I had some really interesting stories, you know, like one participant said, you know, like how often do you go into a barn and you're like, it's all about you. I want to solve this problem Mm -hmm. so I can fix this animal, right? And so you're like, well, this is easy. All I have to do is take this x-ray and run this blood test and do this and boom, I'm going to fix your animal, right? And then the owner is like, well, I don't have any money. Yeah, I'm not taking x-rays. I'm not doing this, right? And when you're really fixed, this one participant said it so nicely. She was like, you know, that used to really make me, it was like I was judging them because they were preventing me from being able to, to do what I thought I was supposed to do. And so when you can start to sit back and understand where that person is coming from, they're trying to make the best decisions for themselves. You can start to understand that. You can you can come to a solution to the problem that works for the client, even if it doesn't quite work for you. <laughs> so you're, you're basically taking away the constraints. Here's our structure. Here's how we're going to do it. Well, we're going to pull it away. And now you got to get creative because now you've got to listen more and you've got to have maybe a broader toolkit or some other things in reserve. And you have to have empathy f- yeah. for that person, right? And like, how often do we as veterinarians get frustrated when we're limited by that, right? Mm-hmm. There's big dissonance between what the client expects and what what they can afford, <laughs> you know, and also what that allows us to do at the end of the day, right? And so when you can start to incorporate all of those perspectives, what the client wants, what you want, what's best for the for the animal, you can come to a more, a broader, I don't know, like a better solution for yeah. everybody. As we're talking, I'm like, not only does this, if you know, you embrace this, it makes you a healthier person, probably makes you a better vet. Oh, I think it makes you an exceptionally better vet because you, you learn to rely on different things, yeah. right? And I actually just, had this conversation with one of our young associates that has come from an internship, you know, where all the tests get run, you have all the tools, you do everything, yep. and then you have the answer, right? And that's great in that situation, but that's not reality also, right? Yep. And, you know, as you know, I worked in a small practice and not a, you know, not a high financial area for many years. And that was actually like, the best experience for me because it really made it challenged me every day to think outside the box (laughs) you know as we're talking though it it makes me think this may be why so many young vets struggle as they come out of vet school regardless of an internship and in vet school when you have cases you you get to do every test every imaging everything is ready yeah and then you come out and all that's pulling away you have no you know and then you have these big barriers of not having access to things yeah big time and i it's a big challenge because internally we're judging those people yep. from they are stopping us from doing our job. And in order to come up with a solution for those horses that you're 
you're not resentful of and you're not carrying those negative emotions around with, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Because on top of the frustration of not being able to solve a case, at some point you start feeling guilty that you've judged these people so horribly. If you're aware of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, you know, the, but so many of us aren't. No, for you know? sure. For sure. But yeah, I think just being able to see other points of view and being able to, and again, that that, that mediating factor is non-judgment. Yep. And that is the whole premise of mindfulness is learning that you improve your connections. You can admit when you're wrong. Mm -hmm. You can change course when you're committed to something. You know what it's like. You're down that road and you're like, well, I'm in it now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going any other direction. But sure. That being able to accept that, you know what, this might not be the right way yep. and, and admit that and turn around and go in a different direction, right? That all comes back to being able to have a broader perspective and really practicing that non-judgment at the end of the day. Right. Last area that we really want to dig deep into is the mind-body connection. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Actually, before we kind of jump into this, maybe we should talk a little bit because with the mind-body connection this sort of introduces the topic of how to get into mindfulness, right. right? Which we haven't covered yet, but I think is important because we've talked about what it is. We've talked about some of the things that we can do, but we haven't actually talked about if it's not meditation. What is it? <laughs> what is it? Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about this before we jump into the mind-body connection because there is a misconception that in order to practice mindfulness, you have to sit still and you have to meditate. And Meditation is a tool to develop mindfulness for mm -hmm. sure, and it's a very effective tool. And some people are intimidated by the, the concept of meditation because they have to, they don't know how to do it. They don't know where to start. But there's so many tools out there that you can use. And personally for me, I found meditation by accident to, to kind of dive a bit personal here. You know, I was at a point in my career, in my life, I was so stressed out. I was working out at the gym constantly, but I was so stressed out at work that the gym was actually driving my cortisol levels higher mm -hmm. and I was feeling worse working out than not. And so I begrudgingly went to yoga. <laughs> and little did I know that yoga was going to really change the whole course of my career. And in yoga, yoga is really important for developing that mind-body connection because it structures breathing with really difficult movements. Mm -hmm. And so you're forced to really take a step back and focus yeah. <laughs> and and think about what you're doing right yeah. and so so and in doing that you become meditative without even really realizing it yeah. so i've kind of gotten a bit off topic here but to go back to just strict meditation and how to get started if you want to get started in that there are so many apps out there headspace calm that you can download they're pretty reasonably priced they give you structured, guided meditations. They help you learn what to do, what to expect, how to do this, how to practice meditation. And I would say for the first several months, you feel like you're wasting your time. Oh. <laughs> you can't, oh. you know, you're frustrated, you're, you're angry, you're like, this is pointless. But if you think about it, and I know you can relate to this as you told me that, what is that? 
That is judgment. Yep. <laughs> a judgment of what you think should be happening. Oh, I remember when I first started doing yoga, I was just like, let's go, let's go. Yeah, like, I want to go faster, I want to go harder. Where, where, where's the Zen state you're talking about? Because yeah. I just sit there, we're getting ready and we're warming up and my mind is racing. And I'm like, I thought this supposed to calm me down. And then by the end, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. You get it, yeah, right? Yeah, but it's, it is training. It is, it's, yeah. a, it's a skill, it's yeah. a muscle. You know, it is, it's training. That's exactly yeah. what it is. But by doing these things, by doing meditation, by doing yoga, what you're doing is you're starting to pay attention to what's happening mm -hmm. in your body, right? When you sit quietly or when you're moving with purpose, which is what you're doing in yoga, you're starting to pay attention to what's happening internally. And that in its own right, starting to develop that connection between what's happening inside of you and what's happening outside is extremely, um, there's been a lot of science done on this to show that that's extremely helpful for calming your anxieties mm. and starting to understand yourself a little bit more and being able to cope, you know, develop resilience. And all of that is mediated through the vagal nerve, right? Because our vagal nerve is really like our shutoff. Mm -hmm. That really controls. And when we're super stressed out and we're running and we're going all the time, we're not even paying attention. You know, we can't employ that part of our nervous system to say like, hey, wait, stop, slow down, take a breath. And as we start to develop that mind-body connection, then we start to develop that ability to say, hey, wait, stop, mm -hmm. take a breath, slow down, bring everything down. And the more we employ that, we just are building vagal tone, we're right. vagal resilience, if you will, right? And that helps. That's that's the whole point of finding this mind-body connection is being able to recognize when it's out of control right. and being able to employ it to say, hey, wait, slow down. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm trying to think, does it have to be as formal as yoga? Or I'm just thinking of like, I'm just going to go sit outside and listen to the birds or yeah. it's just an, a beautiful day. And I'm going to go for a hike mm -hmm. and just sit and look at a brook or a stream or something like that. Yeah. And I think to me, yes, to me, when you take moments to slow down, enjoy nature, let go of your thoughts, reflect enjoy what is in the present moment. Mm -hmm. That to me is mindfulness. In the purest sense, is it? Maybe not, but it is because you're stopping and you're paying attention to yeah. what is happening right there, right? And as we're talking, I'm thinking, okay, I, I wonder if you graduated, let's say 10 years earlier, if the same stresses would be there in the vet profession. I'm, I'm going a bit off base right here because when you add the stress of the veterinary profession, we add in the, the constant dopamine hit of social media. Mm -hmm. We talk about how aggravating politics are. I mean, everything starts to build. So you're just talking about your cortisol going mm -hmm. when you're in the gym after mm -hmm. you know being stressed. Our life is nothing but constant stress. Constant stress. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine just like your example of I'm stressed and I'm going to the gym and it's actually making me more stressed. I think everything probably feeds on itself. And then it becomes a really horrible negative feedback or exactly. actually it's a positive feedback loop with a really negative result. Reinforcing that constant hit, yeah. right? On your on your sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. So almost I'm just thinking of, and somebody's listening to this and going, well, I, you know, I don't want to do yoga. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, so what are the beginning steps? Yeah. You know, so yes, maybe take the 15 minutes or shut off your iPhone or you shut off your iPad and just, just, 
sit and think. Yeah, exactly. Like just slow down for yeah. a few minutes, right? And and those are the beginning steps because so many of us learning to slow down is a, an entire skill in its own right. And it's yeah. very difficult because when we slow down, then we're kind of stuck with those thoughts that are running around yep. in our head all day, right? And when we're going, 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 we don't, we can ignore those, yeah. right? But that's that constant hit to your sympathetic system is just going, going, going. And so you can start practicing mindfulness by just dedicating 10 minutes for you. Mm -hmm. Stretch, go for a walk, sit quietly with a cup of tea, you know, something where you just can start to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And you might not know what to do with those things that you're recognizing, but you're just starting to pay attention. But it's that, it's that muscle, it's that training. Yeah. And it's just like, if I can take 10 minutes this week, well, I can do 15 minutes next week. When COVID first started happening and all the news, I mean, I just, I would drive myself insane. And then finally, I just like shutting everything off. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit for 20 minutes, a half an hour, an hour. Yeah. And it became like, I can do this. And at first, the uh, voices in your head are like, Deafening. A non-slot. It's yeah. just like, it must be like being in a war. Mm -hmm. And then you find after a couple of weeks is that, all right, yeah, calms exactly. down. The voices aren't competing to, for intention. Exactly. And, you know, and same with, in the, and some people, I was one of these people, you're like, I can't sit down for 30 minutes. I don't have 30 minutes yeah. in a day, right? And so sometimes even starting really simple with like, take one minute when you wake up in the morning and do a breathing exercise. Yeah. We call it box breathing where you, Breathe in for four or five seconds, hold for four or five seconds, breathe out for four or five seconds, hold for four or five seconds. You know, there's many different types of breathing exercises that literally 30 seconds, one minute that mm -hmm. you can do that's going to start to allow you to just slow down a yeah. little bit and bring down like breathing exercises have been very high, highly linked with increased bagel tone and bringing that sympathetic state down. And are those all strictly mindfulness? No, but they're all ways to still accomplish similar, to at least start. Absolutely. Just the time to self-reflect. Yeah. And just start to kind of pay attention to what's yeah. going on and, and accept it for what it is. When you start to hear all of those thoughts running through your head, you don't have to change them. Yeah. Just pay attention to it and yeah. just be like, wow, yeah. I think a lot, <laughs> you know, because so we, don't, we don't even know that we're doing that so much of the time. And so just giving yourself an opportunity, you know, and if you want to do a more formal practice, download an app. I love the Calm app. It's great. Mm. They're everywhere. I mean, Peloton yeah. has them now, Apple, whatever, the exercise thing from Apple, Apple Fit, exactly. I guess. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a new area. It is. It's like, really you know, and area. so they're, they are, they're available there. You can go on YouTube and go five yep. minute meditation if you've got five minutes, you know. And you can do meditations where you listen. You can do silent meditations. You can seek out a meditation coach. Mm -hmm. You can join a group where other people, and it doesn't have to be meditation. It can be yoga. It can be walking. It mm -hmm. can be taking, you know, time outside. It can be all of these things. But I think the, the biggest thing to starting it, if you do want to practice a more, if you're interested in developing a more formal mindfulness practice, the biggest, I think, thing that you have to recognize is that it's hard. It's extremely difficult. You're not going to recognize the benefits. It's like learning a new language. Mm -hmm. You don't practice for one day and then you're fluent in another language. It takes months and months and months, years. All valuable things take time. Yeah, you know, and 
instead of judging yourself for feeling frustrated or, you know, having all of those negative feelings like this is working, I can't do that. Just let it be. Mm-hmm. Just try. Mm-hmm. Just commit to trying and just let it be what it will be. And I promise you will. Eventually, you'll notice the simplest thing in your day. Like you're stressed out and you're mad at somebody and then you go, like, wait, hold on a second. Stop. Yeah, 100% <laughs> agree. I, I know when I started doing yoga and I would just, it'd be a crazy day and mm-hmm. you've got all these phone calls. It was so much easier for me to just go, step aside. The doors just closed and I'm just going to be by myself for a while. And then it rejuvenated me. Yeah. And then boom. That was something that every single participant in my research talked about was learning the skill of stopping Mm -hmm. and taking a breath and just going, okay, (laughs) this is not either, you know, if it's in a stressful situation, that's not going well. And you feel yourself starting to panic that ability to press the stop button and then think, right? That comes back to having a broader perspective, stopping, taking a step back and going, okay, what's not working here? That comes in, like one participant talked about, she's a practice owner and she was like feeling very stressed out and somebody would come to her with a problem and she'd be like angry at them, like leave, like, you know, and she's like, it gave me the ability to be like, okay, this is obviously important to them. Mm -hmm. And when she'd feel herself getting triggered, like, I don't have time to deal with you, she could stop, take a deep breath, see that other person's perspective of like, okay, you have something that is important to you and I need to listen to you right now, you know? So that that learning to stop is so incredibly helpful when you can catch yourself in the moment and back off for just a second. Tova, this is awesome as always. I'm listening to this, and I mean, so much of this applies to some of the subjects Katie and I talk about, and some of you know some of the toxic bosses. We had a podcast two episodes ago on how to manage and identify a toxic boss, how to identify if you are a toxic coworker. And I think so many people, and I just I don't want to sound like this is going to be some sort of hippie utopia, but it just stop and just yeah. we are in such a, a treadmill right now. And it just exacerbates on top of it and top of it. And I just think if we just learn to, and, and we gave ourselves permission to stop, it's okay. We don't have to be active because as vets, we want to go, go, go. Just to, it's okay to do nothing right now. Yeah. It's okay to just take a minute. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a minute. It can be a second, <laughs> 10 seconds. You know, you can just stop for a second. Yeah. So, and uh, it's true, right? Because so many times we don't realize we're the toxic person oh. <laughs> because we're so in our heads about things. And, I was that person. Oh, I, I went through a period where I was not a good person to be around. And thankfully, I had a great team. But looking back on that now, I'm like, wow. Uh, am I my favorite that compliment? That was me. <laughs> oh, totally. I remember my one compliment. I had a vet who had worked with us as a student. And, I, and I've talked about it in the podcast. I've got a tone. I've got a temper. Mm-hmm. And it's always there. I mean, that's who I am. And then I remember once we were working and a horse got loose. And I was in the shoeing shop working on it. And she was just like, she said afterwards, she's like, I was expecting you to blow up. (laughs) And I just started walking through this weedy, horrible, brambly kind of paddock and collected the horse. And she was just like, wow, Buddha and the brambles. I was just like, (laughs) I remember thinking about that going, there was two approaches I could have taken to this. One was to lose it. And the other was to like, let's just go with it. And oh, that's like the perfect example of 
where mindfulness can play a role Mm -hmm. is it can stop you at that Y intersection (laughs) and you can take a step back and you can go, okay, what am I going to do here? Right. And so many times we just take off on one path because we don't know any different. We don't know any better. It's not that we're bad people. It's just. That's the path I've always taken. How you've done it, how you've been taught to do it, how it's worked for you, you know, and I think we all realize that things we do don't work for us. Right. And, being able to stop at that Y intersection and go, actually, yeah. I can do something different here. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're a better coworker, you're a better team support, you're a better boss, you're a better leader. You sleep better. You're a better partner. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. a better friend. You Like when you can respond instead of react. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think on that note, I think that about sums it up. I think so. Yeah. Thanks, Tova. Thank awesome. you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.